You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. Welcome everyone to episode three of Western Sydney Health Check. This week we're joined by Westmead Hospital Medical Officer, Dr. Brandon Verdonk. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. Thanks for having me. First off, Thank you very much for all of your efforts uh, in response to COVID-19. Um, I'm sure the, the community is very appreciative of everything you're doing uh, in response to this pandemic. Thank you very much. So, Brandon, you're playing quite a key role in Westmead Hospital's COVID clinic, and we're very interested in the roles and responsibilities you have uh, in that clinic. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're responsible for? Sure. So it's, it's evolved quite a bit over time. So initially, I, it was just sort of myself and a few nurses looking after the clinic. Um, and I would look after swabbing the patients and self-triage them to see which ones needed it. But as it's developed over the last couple of weeks, it's gotten a lot more busier. And so my role has changed a little bit where I am still seeing patients, but I'm also sort of troubleshooting problems. So um, as most people would expect with a pandemic, things are sort of rapidly evolving. So my role sort of involves patient flow, um, screening patients, which ones should be screened, which ones shouldn't, um, and just sort of the basic management of the clinic and sort of day-to-day operations. It is, sorry, it is overseen by ID and ED and and other sort of staff specialists as well. So you said your role has changed. Where did you come from in the hospital before you were um, involved in this clinic? Yeah, so it actually, it worked out really well. I, um, I started in ED here and that was um, a few months ago now but it really lended itself to this role because ED was sort of the department taking the brunt of the COVID patients initially and so once my term had finished there it sort of piggybacked well into working in the clinic. Great and talk us through the clinic so we know that there's testing that goes on you're managing the patient flow Mm -hmm. but tell us about how how it operates. Sure. So there's a a whole lot of signs that will direct patients to our clinic, um, and ED will also direct patients to our clinic. And so initially when they'll arrive, they'll have a little kiosk, and this is a pretty important role. The kiosk is to determine who we swab and who we don't. We have to be sort of careful because we have to make sure we're using our supplies wisely. And then after they're sort of triaged, and if they do meet criteria, then they'll come in and we end up swabbing them there. And we also do a little bit of a a sort of preliminary checkup. So we check on the blood pressure and their oxygen saturation, heart rate, things like that, just so that we're not having too many sick patients slip through the cracks. So you mentioned a criteria for testing. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, that's important to clarify. Um, what, there's a few things that we, we need to have for each patient. Um, one of the important ones to meet criteria currently is that you do need to have symptoms before testing. Um, The reason that one's important is if someone doesn't have symptoms, that means the virus isn't quite hanging around as much. So as we actually do our swabs, you know, they're going in the nose and and swabbing the throat. If someone doesn't have symptoms, we're a lot less likely to pick up on that virus. And so we want to make sure that when we swab someone, we're getting those symptoms. So we have a higher likelihood, um, quite high likelihood of catching that virus and be able to tell someone that they're positive. Um, We are a bit concerned that if someone were to go on quarantine and they'd only had contact with a patient an hour ago or something like that, they're unlikely to have that virus in their nose and in their throat. And we wouldn't want to provide someone false reassurance 
We don't want to tell someone they're negative when in fact the virus is just sort of starting. And so it's important that, that patients are aware that, that is why we don't swab them if they don't have symptoms um, based off the current guidelines. On top of that, one of the other important things we need is you do need to have either traveled overseas in the last 14 days, or, or sorry, I should say the symptoms have to have started within 14 days um, of overseas travel. And then if you don't have that, if you have had contact with a patient who we do know has the virus, um, so that means public health has notified them that they, they are infected, then those patients we would definitely want to swab. And there is little changes like the, the cruise ship. Anyone who'd been on that cruise ship recently that docked, that's someone that would meet criteria for testing as well. So if you're a person who has been advised that you are a close contact of a coronavirus positive person, what steps should that person take? So if you've been contacted, it'll generally be by public health. And so they'll provide you what the latest advice is. But what we're seeing generally now is that you'll need to actually quarantine yourself for 14 days. Um, and again, how that's done will, will be explained to you by public health. The idea is we, there is that period where even if you don't have symptoms, you potentially could transmit it. And so we just want to make sure that everyone is quarantined. Um, and then if you do have contact um, with a patient, you haven't been contacted by public health, but you're fairly certain they do or they've told you or something like that, you should self-quarantine and then contact public health um, and just try to get further instructions. Um, you'll notice I'm referring a lot to public health. It's just good to get talk to them or get on their website because this can change and, and they'll be the ones who dictate what the best option is. And um, you mentioned a patient-to-patient -patient transmission. Obviously, mm. the clinic would have uh, quite strict infection control procedures. What have we got in place uh, to protect uh, patients and staff uh, yeah. from transmission? Yeah, so we're doing quite a bit. That, that certainly is one of our concerns. We know in places like Italy, where they did have a lot of healthcare workers get infected, that actually burdened their healthcare system quite a bit. And then obviously we do not want to transmit between patients. So um, in terms of our patient flow, it's all set up and, and we liaise very closely with infectious control so that each room is sort of cleaned in between patients. All the chairs where patients are sitting and waiting are cleaned. And then we're changing our protective gear as we switch between patients. So it's, we're pretty meticulous and we do have sort of regular checks and we do adjust according to what sort of the latest evidence is. So we're pretty dynamic in that, but I feel like we're doing pretty good at staying on top of it. Sounds very thorough. It is. And um, I'm sure there'd be a lot of patients coming in who are quite anxious mm. um, and worried that they may have contracted the virus. What strategies do our staff have in place to keep patients calm? Well, so that, that's a good question. Patients, some patients are very difficult to keep calm, but I, I'm happy to report that the vast majority that, that we deal with have been actually quite good. Um, I think we've been worried that there might be people who are anxious and that can lead to sort of behavior that we don't really want to see in the hospital. But I think most patients, once they've actually been listened to, they're, they're actually quite respectful. Um, and then to sort of reassure them, it, I think just the data is probably the most important part is um, we do have the right um, personal protective gear. You might hear me refer to it as PPE. Um, and then we give them masks and we make sure that they're educated so that they're not getting their information from online or other sources, but we can actually provide them printouts that are provided by public health. Um, and I find that, that that sort of helps allay some fears. Well, that, that's really good. 
very good to hear. Um, on a personal level, you're responding to what's being described as a one in 100 year health crisis. Mm. What does this mean for your career? Yeah, I'm not sure. I've been asked that question and I'm not sure how it'll change my trajectory. I, I have actually quite enjoyed feeling like I'm sort of being on a dynamic team and being a first responder. Um, and it's also been quite inspiring actually just to be working with these other doctors. Um, you know, I, I feel honored that I was asked to come on this, but there is, there's so many other people working tirelessly to, to try to combat this. And um, I know that ED, they're putting in a lot of hours and they're taking the brunt of people coming in. Um, all the ID consultants, this, that's infectious disease, consultants have actually been really good. They're working insane hours like everyone is. So it's, I guess it's just inspiring to be part of the medical field and it sort of gives me that extra boost to just want to stay in it and kind of work my hardest when I see people like that. In terms of long term, who knows, maybe I'll end up in infectious disease. Don't know. Well, hopefully it's at Westmead Hospital. <laughs> Thank you, that would be good. Importantly though, how are you and how are you coping? I get that question a lot. I, I've, I've put in a, a decent amount of hours since it started. Um, but as I alluded to or, or mentioned earlier, there's a lot of staff who are putting in extra hours. There's a lot of people working really hard. And I find that sort of keeps me in a, a good mood and I don't feel like I'm alone in this. I think if I was working really hard and putting in these hours on my own, that would be difficult. But you sort of see everyone around you is working hard and um, it sort of makes it easy to stay positive and sort of stay in a good mood. So, so far I'm, I'm happy to report I'm good and, and no cough currently, so that's good as well. I hope it stays that way. Thanks. And um, what are staff doing to uh, encourage each other? Like wh what types of things are you saying um, in the clinic to the nurses and other doctors and other staff that you're working in, what what type of encouragement is everybody offering each other? I think we're just, we all understand that we're sort of working under, you know, a, a bit of a struggle and we're trying to hit this moving target as we learn new bits of information day by day. But I think that just it's encouraging to see everyone sort of rallying and rising to the occasion. And so you'd be surprised, I think, if you actually went to the clinic to see that everyone is in actually quite good spirits. People are happy, we're talking, and we're sort of tackling the issue together. Uh, there's something about maybe shared trauma that is just bringing everyone together. So I think overall morale is really good. And I think just keeping that positive attitude, talking to each other, you know, and if you, people are struggling, being able to listen to them, I feel like that's really sort of helped us sort of band together. Uh, one final question for you. What's your message to the community as we tackle this pandemic? Yeah, I think, I think it's just to sort of look at the information from the right sources. The, the issue we're finding is a lot of people are getting information from different sources such as, you know, Facebook or this sort of clickbait type stuff. And it's causing a bit of panic, which is then permeating through. And we see it in, in these patients and people who show up to our clinic. Um, but if you're able to go to the right sources, there is sources online, which hopefully we can add in show notes. Absolutely, we'll include them in the show notes. But the New South Wales Health website, that's the absolute source of truth for New South Wales Health residents. The team there are updating that website every minute almost at the moment. So that's the best place to get the latest information. And of course, our our, our channels, uh, we're on Facebook, Western Sydney Health. Um, look us up. We're also on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and of course, our digital news site, thepulse.org.au.
So uh, definitely uh, follow the verified sources of information. I think that's the best way to keep calm and know that you're getting the right information. Yeah, and, and, and that's where we're getting our information too as well. As we're, we're trying to, and every step that we take is, is, should be in step with public health. So it saves you a bit of time if you know what we're going to say because it's, it's going to be on that website. Um, and I think it just encourages people to sort of follow the guidelines that have been given um, you know, they are done by people who know what's going on, and I've been fortunate enough to have access to some of that information. Um, and I, I'm confident that if we sort of follow those procedures, that they will make a big difference. And although they seem little, it, it, it empowers all of us to actually be able to do a little bit on our own, these little bit of quarantine things that we do, they do make a big difference, I think. Well, before the show, you described this situation as a moving target, and I think mm. that's such a good way to describe it, um, which is why we've uh, set up a, a page on our intranet. Um, so that's just like a staff portal, um, and we update that as new information uh, emerges relating to our staff. And our chief executive has been issuing daily mm. messages to staff with the actions that are being taken and highlighting the way things are changing, which is so important um, in, yeah. in this pan pandemic, which seems to be evolving at such a rapid pace. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. It is that moving target, um, you know, and there is some growing pains. And I, I do feel for some of the patients who kind of suffer a little bit through the growing pains. But uh, I, tr I think we're trying to, I know we're trying our best. And I think we're sort of getting on top of some of these growing pains. And, you know, it's turning into a, a sort of well-oiled machine, or as much as can be expected with a moving target. Well, Brandon, thank you very much for taking time out of the clinic. I know things are, are busy at the moment, but it's greatly appreciated that we are, are able to provide some information to our staff and community about what's going on behind the scenes. And thank you for everything you're doing for, for our residents. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District. For the latest news, visit us at thepulse.org.au.